Well, welcome and thank you all for coming on a questionable night tonight. Um, Jeff Balcom, we met many years ago, several years ago. Uh, Jeff is going to share his story of redemption. He's going to tell you about him being a young athlete, a baseball player, East Cobb baseball player, going to high school, didn't make the team, affected his self-esteem, his self-worth. He turned to drugs. The, the drugs called him to spiral down. He got into some hardcore drugs. He got, in, got arrested. He found, had an encounter with the Lord. God started changing his heart, and Jeff became a Christian. About the time he became sober, he then had a passion to start Agape, which is a house for men and women that are, that are needing recovery, services, support, encouragement, accountability. So Jeff runs the Agape Recovery House now, and uh, over time it serves both men and women. There's about a 40-bed capacity for that. So um, he is now pouring into people what God showed him in his life through his journey. So, Jeff, we welcome you up. I'm going to pray for you, and then you're, you're free to go, brother. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jeff, Lord, and for the magnificent work you've done in his life, the redemption that you brought to him, Father, the passion that you've given him to reach out to other hurting men and women that are struggling with we, with what he struggled with one day, God. We just pray now that you'll speak through him in a mighty way that we'll all leave here encouraged and refreshed. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So I just want to start out by saying that it is an honor and privilege to be here and to be able to um, uh, just speak with um, families, uh, loved ones. Um, you know, my, my story um, of addiction uh, and just, just my journey um, and, and, and being able to be here and stand here today and share this space with you guys and, and kind of share, you know, some different things um, is, is very miraculous. Um, you know, there was, and, and I'm going to kind of, I, I, I jump around a little bit, so I'm sorry, you guys, but that's kind of how my, my brain works. But, you know, I, I never thought I could have a life that was one of goodness, uh, was one of contribution. Um, you know, uh, I grew up down the street from here. Um, I went to Pope High School. Um, you know, like John had mentioned, I really, um, in, in, in a lot of ways, my, my uh, childhood was very, um, you know, was, was a very good one. Um, I, you know, I, I do like to pause, and I love my family, and they've poured into me tremendously. And it's interesting being on this side of the tape because I used to, um, <clears throat> kind of blame my family, my genetics, um, so many things, you know, but in a lot of ways, I, I really, looking back, I was very, very hard, you know, on my family, particularly my father, um, you know, and today my relations, and, I, and I'm just, you know, I'm jumping back and forth, but today my relations with my family are, are amazing. Um, you know, the dynamics that had developed, you know, over the course of my childhood and my lifetime, you know, still play a factor, you know, after many, many years of, of recovery. And I've been sober um, almost eight years um, at this point. So I just turned 35 and, um, you know, I've been married uh, almost two years. Um, my wife is uh, pregnant for the first time. So uh, we haven't officially announced that to the world because she's still in her first trimester. Um, but y'all don't tell anybody. So, <laughs> Oh, it's being recorded. Okay. Y'all listening to this recording, don't tell anybody. Um, 
but um, I am, you know, because, and that's, and that's one of the gifts, you know, of this journey of redemption, you know, and I've seen it in so many people's lives, but, you know, I never wanted to have children after my experience in life, and, um, you know, when I was younger and before, I guess I kind of really came to the end of myself and was, was willing and open to God and to just believing that he really could be good. Um, and I'm going to backtrack and kind of go through all that process a little bit. Um, but, you know, I grew up down the street from here, um, you know, and, and I love both my, my, my parents and they did the absolute best they could. But, you know, that, that Christian element was not present, um, <clears throat> you know, in my household. And um, I feel like that's, that's the backbone, you know, of my life, my relationship with Jesus um, you know, there's things that I'm involved in. I am involved in the 12-step program. Um, you know, I, I originally I got sober with a relationship um, with God, and um, I didn't wasn't immediately involved in the 12-step uh, process, but eventually later on I did kind of get involved in it. Um, but I kind of wanted to just introduce uh, real briefly kind of this form I, I passed out to you guys. So I'm a uh, certified addiction counselor. Um, uh, do you guys need a form? Oh, you got one? Okay. Um, so I'm a certified addiction counselor. Um, I know I mentioned I've been sober almost eight years. Um, and, you know, of course, I, I started the Agape Recovery House. But um, one of the things that I, I kind of have seen, and I'm going to tell my story, but I wanted to kind of um, correlate these um, stages of change. So this was a handout I got when I was um, taking the CAC class. And, you know, throughout my journey, and I can, you know, I love that devotional um, that you read. It was, it's so powerful. And I know, you know, for, for my life today, there's things that I constantly have to, um, you know, I know in, in the Word it says, you know, give me this day my daily bread. And it's like I have to remind myself and refresh myself of the truth, um, you know, and, and I don't understand. Um, I don't try to understand why God created us certain ways anymore. I just I just accept things, and I try to just continue to grow in that trust and that faith um, in, in all different areas. But so this, this little handout right here, um, so there's, there's these different uh, stages of change. You have pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance, and relapse. Um, not a huge fan of that last one, so we're, uh, we don't really focus on that too much. <clears throat> but um, it's, it's a part of most people's journeys. But, you know, kind of rewinding back to where I was picking up, um, you know, growing up in my childhood, you know, the dynamics of, of my particular family and kind of where I fit in, um, my mother was a was a psychologist by trade. She worked in the school system, so she didn't. She she uh, tested kids for learning disabilities, um, so she kind of always kind of had this <clears throat> this mindset of like wanting to understand everything, you know, wanting to understand everything that was going on with me, um, you know, without anyone, you know, anywhere really, uh, but just particularly with her children. And I think she was really well-intentioned. I still think she is. God bless her. Love her. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, the, um, and the beautiful thing is I feel like the mixture of pairing gifts that everyone in this room has, y'all's children have, you know, we all have inherently um, with, with, with the mixture of God's grace and, you know, his, <clears throat> you know, his wisdom, 
you know, these things can, any gifts we have can always be, be applied for good. And, and me and my mother have, over the years, have worked through, you know, so many different um, just scenarios. Um, but as time went on through my childhood, um, she really put a lot of emphasis in her happiness and, and how I was doing. Um, and being a psychologist and me continuously, it was almost kind of like she, <clears throat> she would, um, you know, she was so much wanting to always kind of like have a little bit of a stranglehold on me without realizing it, but always wanting to know, you know, why, what's going on or why are you unhappy? And I mean, I remember when I was in middle school, I think I had a, um, some type of skin rash on my face, but you know, when you're in middle school, that was like, I was like, I need to stay home for a week, you know, like, you know, this is, this is horrible. I mean, my life is over, you know, and she's just like, oh, well, we'll, uh, we'll figure this out. And she like put some makeup. She like tried to put some makeup on my face. And so I I went to school and one of my friends was like, dude, you have makeup on your face. And I was like, no, I don't. And like, you know, I ran to the bathroom and I, you know, wiped it off and I'm just, you know, I mean, it's a funny example, but it's kind of like, you know, she was she was trying to help the situation, right? But it was kind of like instead of just maybe saying, you know what, honey, I know this is uncomfortable, you know, and, and allowing it to happen, though, you know, like, listen, you're great looking young man, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. But, you know, and I know she she internally, I think she did it because she wanted to love me. But there was some type of imbalance where she kind of over life, it was like she wanted to just make everything okay right then and there, you know, and, and I know um, I'm not a parent yet, and so I, I always, whenever I'm talking to families or parents, you know, I'm really big on saying I, I don't fully understand, you know, the degree of wanting your, you know, your child to be okay and to be happy, you know, um, I mean, I love my dogs like children, and when they're unhappy, <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't imagine when I have a child, so... You know, I I get it, but um, so anyways, there was this role that developed as I you know went into high school. Um, I didn't make my high school baseball team, and um, and I'm just at this point in time, I'm in, I'm about to start using drugs, but I'm going to be in this pre-contemplation stage, which bas- basically just means I'm not even c- considering that I have a problem. It's just not even you know in my awareness. I mean, anywhere at all. <laughs> so. I didn't make my high school baseball team, and I always was, I feel like, and this is a gift now, I realize it, but I always cared about people in the sense that, like, you know, I felt like in the culture I lived in, being a man, you know, you don't, you shouldn't care that much about certain things. You know, you shouldn't care if, you know, um, there's like a young man in my kindergarten class that had these braces on his legs, and I named my cat, you know, Sam after him, and, um, I remember freshman year, I don't know what, I, I came to Sam, um, you know, I said, hey, man, I, I know this is really, you know, uh, just really um, just uh, just out of the blue, but I named my cat, you know, after you with, you know, these braces from your younger, and he's like, dude, that's weird, don't ever talk to me again, I'm like, <laughs> took off, you know, and I was just, I'm like, I don't know, like, this is just who I am, I'm expressing myself, I'm just sharing, you know, that I, you know, I thought it was, it was a nice thing to say to him, you know, and um, <clears throat> so, you know, when we live in this culture, it's like as a man, you know, the only, um, there's only a few emotions that are kind of acceptable and the cool 
you know, realm, you know, and that's like anger and lust and violence and, you know, in the worldly spectrum, right? So it's kind of like, again, you know, I love my family. They're great. But at the core, I mean, there's just these kind of imbalances and, and it's hard. It's very hard, you know, but without that foundation, you know, um, I was kind of just like seeking and searching. So when I didn't make my high school, I grew up playing travel baseball, East College travel baseball. And when I didn't make um, my high school baseball team, I just very much felt lost um, identity-wise, just who I was. And so that's when I started smoking marijuana. Um, and it really, you know, it became kind of a, um, a way that I was able to, I just kept remembering and thinking like, and I was so young, but I'm like, you know, the stress of dealing with my mother and my family, if I don't smoke this stuff, I'm going to die early. And I mean, it's crazy. It sounds so crazy. But to me, it really, it was true, you know. And, um, you know, at least I told myself that and believed it. And so as high school continued to progress, I, um, you know, I started smoking marijuana every day. Um, and it really became just a part of my daily life you know, um, to the point where everything, all my group of friends, everything we did revolved, you know, pretty much around smoking, you know, marijuana and eventually, <clears throat> you know, getting into drinking, um, and, you know, trying other drugs, um, eventually moving forward. And I would say, <clears throat> I want to kind of pause here and mention the first time, I think there's a small, uh, realization. So this would be kind of just a, a glimpse of the contemplation, which is casually considering that I change or that I have like some type of problem was, I remember um, <clears throat> I was at a house party and my I had a friend, you know, whose mom let us do whatever we wanted, you know, at her house. Um, so he always had, there was like a group of five to 10 of us. And it's just like every day after school, well, they actually had, there was two homes, but this one in particular, you know, we would go there. We would always smoke weed. And I mean, generally, we didn't get into like tons of trouble and stuff, but we were definitely not making progress, you know, in a good way in our lives. Um, but one of my friends threw this big party, I think it was sophomore year in high school. Um, and the cops came because it was ridiculous. And it was just, you know, and so I was one, there was maybe 30 something people there. And I was one of like three people who didn't, I was so drunk, I couldn't leave. I couldn't go anywhere. I was just basically kind of like sprawled out on a sofa. And, you know, I was one of a few people whose parents got called. Um, and, you know, I just, I can remember this, this moment where I just had like a brief thought to myself, like there was a lot of people here and there was a lot of people using all different types of substances and, you know, how did I get so inebriated that I'm not able, you know, I was one of like just a very few amount of people still here. Um, and so that was, you know, I just wanted to mention that because that was kind of one of the first moments. Um, so I, I kind of just continued through high school. I never made any C's. I was really good. And I'm sure, you know, some of you guys may be able to relate to this, but I was just very good. Like I was, I was very low key, you know, I was really good at kind of sliding by <clears throat> you know I never made any C's I made all A's and B's in high school um, you know I know looking back and I've had conversations with my mom my mother like 
that my parents would find my marijuana sometimes. You know, they would find my, you know, devices that I would use to, to smoke, you know, and, and, and my mom <clears throat> and my dad, um, you know, knew at times that I was, that I was high, you know, and that I was inebriated at different points in times. And eventually I did acquire my first DUI, which was the summer um, that I graduated from high school. So I, again, kind of started, you know, gravitating towards this idea that I probably had you know, some type of problem, but my addiction and my, you know, my persona and my thought process, and that's another thing I was going to kind of try to transition and talk about a few things, but I feel like a lot of times with certain people, you know, you start developing this, this lifestyle and this idea of who you are, and it just continues to, the longer, the, the more embedded you are into the drug culture and there's all these subcultures. Like every high school, you know, you have like, let's say Pope High School has 300 people in a graduating class or something. I, I don't know. I think that could be somewhat accurate. It's like, you know, you have your subcultures of friend groups. And it's like everyone's trying to find their identity and they're trying to find their truth and they're trying to find so many things, you know. And, and, and it's like it's a difficult time period, even if, uh, you know, there isn't some you know, serious kind of issues going on in the family or things like that. And so I I just kind of mentioned that to say that as my continual um, uh, progression and really reliance, I think that was a good term for me as I became reliant to, because even with marijuana, you do build up a tolerance, but a lot of it is psychological. You know, you really start believing that this is just a part of who you are, and then it, it dulls your senses. Um, you know, all of the drug use and alcohol use and everything does, but it really dulls your senses to a greater purpose, you know, outside of your little, small little box that you're living in. Um, and so, you know, picking back up in my story, when I had my DUI, um, you know, God bless my parents, but, you know, and they wanted to help me. And, 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 and I talked to a lot of families, you know, that have, um, you know, family members that are going through, have gone through multiple treatment cycles and multiple arrests and multiple things. And I, I get the question a lot, you know, when, when should I help or when should I not help? You know, um, <clears throat> and that's, that's, that's not an easy question. You know, under any circumstance, um, I, I all I can say is, and I'm going to kind of fast forward through a little bit of my my story, but I ended up having three DUIs, uh, multiple drug possession charges, um, and then a few other kind of charges here and there. And my parents used my college fund, um, a good portion of my college fund, on attorney fees um, and things of that nature, and so. What I just want to kind of like pause and and maybe reflect on through that situation was, I don't think there's any standard cookie cutter you know answer right that's just say okay, pay for rehab twice and then they need to be homeless for ten years, and then you know if you know if they're ready for help then then you know help them out again. But what I would say is um, consult with you know someone like myself or someone else that has experience you know, that can walk with you with, you know, the full knowledge of what's going on. And um, don't, 
um, you know, and I and I, I know my family had the best intention, but maybe I love that that devotional again because it, it really talks about maybe I'm trying to remember exactly what worded, but not aligning their and I know it's so hard, but how how they're doing or you know right now in this moment um, with with your um, your your happiness you know or your condition your 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 life um, and I know that that's very hard um, again my dogs uh, when they're not happy you know it's hard for me to be happy um, you know but um, I just I, I talk to so many families I have such a passion for seeing p- all people you know live lives that are joy joy filled you know and seeing all people. Um, just experience the freedom that I feel like God wants wants everyone to have, and not have that heaviness. You know that that I mean I think it's one thing I yeah I really feel like Jesus had a burden you know for people. You know He saw somebody and they were suffering, but I just really over the years because working in this field and helping people, you know it can be it can it can sometimes get heavy. You know it can get heavy kind of trying to. Um, feel like, you know, maybe I could have done this different with this person. And, you know, I've seen many people, all different types of, you know, scenarios. I've known people who've, you know, ended up overdosing and dying. Many, many people, you know, all different things. But I've also seen a tremendous amount of people get better. You know, I've seen people, every background, every age. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I have a guy that I, I knew he, he got sober when he was like 55 and the last year of his alcohol use. Yeah. The last year of his alcohol use, he, um, you know, he was so, um, disassociated from life. I mean, he literally, um, he described his life as, um, being in a dream state. You know, he drank from the moment he woke up to the moment he went to sleep and, he's such a miracle and he's so on fire for life and it's just i i he i stay in touch with him and and um he's doing so good but you know it's i just the the hope the hope piece you know i was asking god to kind of give me like something give me a word give me something to try to hone in on through all this and i feel like in my life and in my goals and my aspirations even today after all these years sober you know, is, is, is gravitating and focusing on the hope that can come with um, just a good life that's lived, you know, in a way that is honoring God. You know, it has good, decent, you know, good relationships, real friendships, real um, purpose and all of those things. And, um, and I just wanted to pause and kind of say that that's, that is absolutely available, you know, for every, anyone. And back to kind of that that process I was mentioning is I would just really encourage, you know, anyone um, who's in that process to kind of try to get some, some, uh, some second opinions, you know, um, throughout that, throughout that journey. Um, And I have so much, you know, respect for families that, that um, sacrifice a tremendous amount, but I've, I've heard of some families, you know, mentioning, you know, um, remortgaging their homes and um, just all different types of things. And there's so much stress, and it just really, you know, I would have, you know, I just wish that sometimes they would have had somebody to to walk with them and, and you know. Um, 
But back to my story. Um, so I went off to Georgia Southern. I don't know if anybody knows anything about Georgia Southern, but you know, um, if anybody's like a Georgia Southern graduate or anything here, don't not gonna step on any. I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. But no, I mean, you can, you can. There's good things anywhere. But for me, I followed my my friend group, my identity. You know, I was continuing to evolve into, you know, <clears throat> I wanted to I wanted to do some good things with my life at this point, but mostly I was just every day I was trying to I was kind of like digging this hole over time where I was um losing myself as my addiction kept moving forward so I was really when about the time I went off to college and I mean I was over over these years with my my mother um and my father I mean I became these roles got established and I got used to getting what I wanted so I mean I remember when I went off to college you know, we went through the orientation thing, and my parents were like, you're going to stay in the dorm for at least a semester, not even a year, just a semester. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'm going to pitch the biggest, one of the biggest fits I've ever pitched in my life to get my way because I'm getting an apartment. And so, I mean, this sounds so ridiculous, but I can, I mean, I almost don't want to share it with you guys. I don't even know y'all. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> I literally remember. I was like, let's just look at a couple apartments, you know, just in my, my dad's just like, mm. my mom's like, okay, you know, so it's like, oh, so, I mean, we went into this one complex, <clears throat> I was like, this is it, so, I mean, I don't, I wasn't thinking that in my mind at the time, but I was just like, you know, I'm like, this is it, you know, and that selfishness in the 12 steps, they talk about selfishness and self-centeredness as the root of our disease, and the thing about drug use is it really <clears throat> it becomes a very selfish the the amount of time you spend on thinking about getting the drugs and, and a lot of times especially opiates and things like that um, there's that super addictive you know um, you know physical and emotional and psychological ness to it but it just you spend so much time thinking about yourself there's certain things that just seem like you know they also talk about living in these delusional states like your reality is very skewed it's just not close to what real reality is and so i mean i i'm i'm a 20 year or 18 year old man i won't lay down in the ground on the parking lot and i literally was just like flailing like a little kid and i'm like i'm not living in dorms i'm just gonna stay here like this is what's happening and not doing this and like people are walking by and they're like what in the world like what's wrong with this person <clears throat> and i'm just like hysterical tears it's just this is this is preposterous you know why why can't you see that i i deserve this and so i got my way i got my way oh God, that's that that feels good to share that with you guys so i'm glad that i got past that point that's a lot of freedom and 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 sharing um but uh you know i mean i um you know, uh, two weeks after being there, the police got called to my apartment. So I was in a four-bedroom flat. Two guys I met while I was drinking, you know, down there on orientation. And so, um, you know, we were smoking a lot of marijuana, and there was a police officer that lived underneath us. But it was just, you know, delusions, you know, just your reality is just, oh, he's not going to smell it. He's down there. We're up here. Um, you know, I mean, I know the walls aren't that thick, but, you know, smoke rises, right? I don't know. So, anyways, um, you know, somehow I didn't get arrested there, but <clears throat> long story short, I got into OxyContin. So I graduated high school in 2004. Um, 
back then OxyContin was really, really big, um, and I tried, I tried it, and it really felt, I like to use the term as a false spiritual experience in the sense that I felt so peaceful, you know, it's like a, I know a lot of people describe it as a warm blanket. Um, and so when I went down to Georgia Southern, you know, Oxycontin is very expensive, and my tolerance was building with opiates. It really builds, you know, quickly. So um, this gentleman I was, gentleman I was buying the Oxycontin from, um, he was injecting it, and he's like, you know, because I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not, I was, I was, I was, I was using it and it wasn't affecting me and he's just like you should try this you should try this and I kept being like no I'm not going to do that like I'm never going to do that and so finally one day I'm just like you know I just did I just tried it and that was really when my addiction um, just started to become completely you know take control of my life I mean I remember I, I failed my health class at Georgia Southern I had a B going into the final and I didn't go to the final I didn't go to the final because I was I was withdrawing, you know, off of opiates, um, <clears throat> and so definitely still moving towards this contemplation state where I realize I have a problem, um, <clears throat> but my addiction, you know, my mindset, you know, what I thought, and I, and over these, you know, really starting to get into my college. My self-talk, and I really, I had some serious depression going on at this point. You know, I really felt hopeless. I really felt um, my self-esteem, my self-worth was one in which, you know, I'm in college, you know, I'm really wanting to, you know, just kind of, you see a lot of the, you know, for me, I was looking at a lot of these fraternity guys, and I had friends in fraternities, and they seemed so happy, and you have all these friends around you, and I'm, I'm hanging out with them, and I'm doing some things, but, <clears throat> you know, my my state of mind and so much was, was just very, um, I was just very depressed and it was just a very, very hard thing. And I know a lot of people, this is, I'm kind of going off a little side note again, but a lot of people go off to college very quickly, especially people like, you know, we live in a super blessed area. I know a lot of people here, um, you know, have the ability to go to college, but I wish I would have stayed. It would have been so good if I would have done something. I had a few friends that kind of went off to like Colorado, not saying their whole experience was, was perfect, but they kind of tried to spend a little bit more time, you know, before just, you know, if my parents, <clears throat> not in retrospect, I mean, sending me off to college, I know they were wanting, wanting the best for me, but sometimes I feel like when you're 18, you're not, you're just not quite an adult yet, you know, I, <laughs> um, but everyone's in different places. But um, so, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Um, I ended up getting my second DUI while I was down there. My parents um, asked me to come home. I went to Kennesaw State, and I got introduced to heroin. Um, and again, you know, my level of addiction, my state of mind, everything really just continued to, to snowball. Um, you know, so I'm going to fast forward through about a year of addiction. But that year right there, um, I experienced, again, some levels of depression. I mean, I can remember... Um, I don't know if anyone, and this is, you know, the movie Fight Club, but I mean, there was moments where I was so upset with myself. I was so depressed. I didn't have anybody to talk to. I mean, I remember slapping myself and, and just like just being so um, angry with life and with things that are going on. And this whole time, you know, I tried um, all different types of my therapy and all different things. And I ended up going through a sober living at one point, and I ended up going through Cobb County Drug Court, actually, but a couple different things 
that God placed certain people and this is this is a really awesome point is that God places people you know at the right times that can have such amazing influence and being in a, in a program and being in something like sober living or treatment and having you know these people that you just connect with and there's just something that happens through those connections um, and I and, and at first it, you know when I when I went to sober living, um, so I got caught with actually stealing a bunch of textbooks from Kennesaw State University's bookstore. I mean, I don't even think about this stuff until I start talking to these stories. So, but um, you know, I, I was uh, I was written up in Kennesaw's newspaper, and the title was "Book Bandit." So that was. Um, please don't anybody go back there and, and try to find that. Um, but the uh, the beautiful story is eventually I went back and I actually made an amends to the bookstore owner. Um, there's actually another church here when I was in active addiction. I did a tremendous amount of community service from all those DUIs. And um, I went back there a couple of years ago and made an amends because I stole some little small um, piece of equipment you know, from there. And <clears throat> so anyways, um, when I went to the sober living, you know, I knew I had a problem. <laughs> at this point, you know, and I was, you know, in this preparation stage, the client makes the decision to change and attempts to begin the process. Um, so, you know, and under the role of the counselor, I know it, it has some other areas too, like assist in identifying obstacles for change, establishing a social support system. So, I was, I was such, my addiction, you know, and, and kind of my disconnect from God was at such a place at this point that, you know, I spent, I think I spent about three months in jail, so I had some clean time going into this sober living, um, and, you know, I realized that I, I started, I would catch glimpses of other people's lives around me that were getting better, and when I was in this sober living, I started getting involved in the 12 Steps. Um, I actually started going to church on my own my own behalf, and God had there's people throughout my life. When I was growing up, I had a friend um, that I played baseball with. When I spent the night at his house, I would have to go to church, um, and so I was I was exposed to different aspects of God growing up. But when I came to um, when I came to this point of of my journey, you know, the sober living, I really was starting, and this is this is kind of I think this is something to really kind of like consider because I know. Um, there are certain things where, and I know I've told you guys bits and pieces of my story, but I've left out you know tremendous amounts of different things. Um, but I know that it's the the you know the patience and the just absolute um, <clears throat> trying to understand, but not uh, wanting to fix, but trying to you know trying to throw out ideas and and and, and helpful things, and just wanting people to get better. Um, you know, at different points, I, and I and I told the, my staff that I work with, and I t- and I and I think about these things, picking the times. You know, and I and I heard somebody before this talk about something in their group. You know, asking um, well placed, appropriate questions at well placed times. You know, so when I'm helping people. Um, and when I'm thinking about my life, and when I look back on my life, people that helped me, some of the greatest um, counselors and the greatest just people in my life, you know, just asked me some questions at times that kind of caught me off guard. 
it's like I had this I got uh, this job when I was in sober living and I had this guy that was training me I it was a I sold copier machines so you know it was it was it was um not glamorous at all you know there's a lot of cold calling and um you know I had this guy and he he actually he was he used to be a youth pastor who was going through a divorce at the time um and he uh you know I'd ride around with him and I'd listen to um these Christian uh preaching and teaching a lot of Christian music and stuff but as time would go on he would you know he would just ask me like questions we'd be driving down the road and he's like it's like hey man you ever thought about um you know you ever thought about um like getting married one day or you ever you know do you ever think about like helping some people or you know doing something like this or something that a lot of times I would just like not even listen to the questions but years you know a few years later down the road I came to a point where this gentleman he was always there for me um you know because I didn't stay sober after that stint at at that particular sober living but it planted seeds you know a lot of seeds a lot of good seeds um, and the seeds didn't always take root immediately, um, but it really, you know, a lot of these, a lot of those seeds were, are, are things now that I reflect on. But there came a point about two years after that experience. Um, you know, I tried the. Um, I don't know if any any of y'all have experienced or heard of kratom. Um, <clears throat> you know, so I I tried a lot of. You know, you switch you switch things. You try different things. You know, a lot of people do. You know, you try. I tried the workout routine, so I, I didn't, I was, you know, I, God, you know, I, I hear you, I see you over here, but I'm going to get my outside good because, you know, I'm going to get, the, you know, I'm going to try to get uh, get back into dating and I'm going to work on my career and get, you know, a lot of money and that's going to be my solution and, you know, that falls through. So, um, you know, man, I'm depressed. I need to change the way I feel. God, I know you're, I know you're here when I'm, when I'm in those moments, you know, of, of, of real struggle and real pain. Yeah, I'm calling on you, but as things get a little bit better, I'm kind of forgetting about you a little bit. And um, kratom is, um, you know, unfortunately, it's still legal, but it, it's, you know, it doesn't. Sh- Anyways, long story short, um, I uh, was I tried to do the kratom maintenance for a couple years, and you know, God, I, I feel like God was kind of. Uh, getting me to a place where I was slowly and surely as time went on, I was weakening to my own self-reliance. You know, I, I, uh, I remember an attorney told my parents one time, you know, your son is just too smart for his own good. Um, you know, he's, 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 he's too smart for his own good. I remember, you know, a lot of people saying to me, man, you, you have a high tolerance for pain. Um, you know, um, many, many different things like that, but you know, there was, uh, I, I, I finally came to a place where, um, you know, I was, I was sitting in jail once again, and I was, I didn't think about committing suicide, but I really, really would have been okay <clears throat> if I would have faded away from the face of the earth. Um, you know, I didn't get out of bed for three days. It sounds kind of cliche, but I didn't get out of bed for three days. Um, I was actually, they were about to actually put me on suicide watch because I remember I did hear one of the guards kind of be like, you know, this, he hasn't gotten up for trays or anything like that. So we need to, you know, we need to 
we need to watch him. But I just had this feeling. Um, I just had this feeling, and it was just it was a fa- it was it was kind of just the faintest um, feeling that uh, I'm still alive and I have I have purpose. I'm alive with purpose. Um, I'm alive for a reason. A lot of my a lot of my some you know a decent number of my friends that I used with, um, especially during my heroin time period, did did you know overdose and die. Um, I overdosed at one point too throughout my story, and I didn't mention this, but my parents found me um, overdosed, and there's a really really nasty drug called GHB that um, when I was going through drug court, <clears throat> you know, I was just looking to change the way I felt. I was so lost. So I got into got into that a little bit, and I knew some people that I was with that overdosed on that stuff. Um, so anyways, when I, was, when I was at this point, <clears throat> you know, where I had this briefest kind of just awareness, you know, this feeling that I was still alive for a purpose, I made a decision. You know, that's, all, that's the only way I can, I can describe it, is I, I kind of just made this decision where I literally said something to this nature out loud. I said, God, I don't exactly know what my concept of you is at this point, but I, I believe that you're real, and I believe that you love me, and <clears throat> you know I'm going to do my best to spend the rest of my life trying to get to know you and, um, and follow you, you know, and do what you want me to do with my life. So that was almost eight years ago. Um, I feel like that moment was really the preparation where it says the client makes the decision to change and then attempts to begin the process. You know, in the 12 steps, the first step is admitting you're powerless, you know, over, over your drug and alcohol addiction. Um, and there's there's some standard kind of questions they ask, and there's a section in the big book called The Doctor's Opinion where you look for similarities with the story that he went through in regards to um, unmanageability. And, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's journey to that process is different, but I believe that God is chasing, you know, everyone. I believe he is relentless. He never gives up. You know, I believe that, you know, there's good um, people, that agents that he places, you know, uh, strategically, you know. Um, and so, you know, I spent, um, yeah, I spent a significant amount of time incarcerated, you know, after that moment. But I kept, uh, I kept, I kept being genuine with myself and with God and with others around me, um, you know, I uh, <clears throat> the process of disassociating myself, dying to who I used to be, and and becoming alive to who I was meant to be and who I meant to be. Um, it's still happening, you know, even today after eight <coughs> years. But um, you know, that first year to two years, a lot of people say that. Um, you know, it's funny. <laughs> there'll be people that'll be in our program, and you know, they'll be ninety days sober. And I remember when I was there too, but. Um, you know, it's like sometimes there, uh, a lot of a lot of the chemistry internally can change. You know, in those those first nine days, which is fabulous, but the long term, you know, mental state. You know, when you start using drugs and alcohol, I know they say that men's, you know, um, their 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 brains don't fully mature until you're 25. You know, um, 
I mean, just now, after probably eight years of sobriety, I think I'm catching up to my, you know, pretty close to my, my, my age of 35. Um, although I do believe in it's powerful to, to tap into your, your child, uh, your childness every, every day in a good way, you know, your playfulness. You know, I know this world sometimes can be really, there's a lot of seriousness and a lot of heaviness in the world. Um, but, um, Anyways, you know, just going back to this, I started taking action. You know, when I was incarcerated, I can't tell you how many people I heard while I was in there. And, you know, people hear my story and they're like, man, how did you do anything positive in there? What I did is I made a decision every day to focus on what I could do. I used my, you know, I read this book that it's really powerful to me. It was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. But the first habit is being proactive. And, and when I read that and I realized, you know, I am responsible for my life. You know, I have the ability through my resources and my initiative, no matter where I'm at, to better myself. And I just can remember, I mean, I can still remember it to this day. You know, the first time I read that and it really clicked, you know, I was like, man, that's it. Like, I'm going to use my time while I'm here you know, I'm going to better myself every day. I'm going to, basically, I'm going to be in Bible college. I'm going to be in business college. You know, I'm going to, you know, utilize, you know, as much of my time here as I can. And for the most part, I, I, I feel like I did. Um, and so that, you know, in that action, um, and, and I know it mentions here in the role of the counselor under there, assisting with redirecting triggers you know, and there's there was things that would pop up um, over time, and they still do. You know, in regards to things that kind of, you know, trigger and just the triggers is an emotional, mental, you know, something that a memory or something that brings something up that really causes you to have some, um, you know, some, some some stress or some trauma, you know, or something that happened throughout your life. And there's there were some things like biologically, my family, some of my family has a history of mental illness, you know, depression, um, you know, even my, my mother's mother, my grandmother on my mother's side was hospitalized for different mental Ill- illnesses and stuff. And I can always remember that was one of the biggest things for me is, you know, I use because it's a part of my genetics. Like, I can't escape that, right? Like, you know, and I and I realized when I when I accepted Jesus, and you know it does say in, in the in the Bible, you know you're a new creation, and you know I just chose to believe what the Word said, and I just held on to it, and I claimed it, and I spoke it over my life, and I remember I started doing things that no one else around me was doing. I mean, I created this thing called I called it a positivity packet, so I wrote down all of the most impactful things I had pictures of my families and I had you know things that I wanted to do in the future and I would I would look at it every morning and everybody would stay up late on the weekends you know playing cards and just being ridiculous really and uh you know I would I would go to sleep early and I would wake up so I'd have hours of peace and time to to focus and I would find you know, some of the, the views uh, out the windows probably, you know, they weren't very good, as you can imagine. Um, and, you know, every dorm I was in, I remember I would try to find, I would look for the good. You know, and I would always, <clears throat> what, you, what you look for, you're going you're gonna to find. You know, and the more that you focus on the positive, it's going gonna, it's gonna, 
it's going to materialize. But anyways, I just want to, you know, I'm going to wrap up here in a second. But, um, you know, I know the next level under action is maintenance. So continued commitment to a sustained new healthy behavior. I think sometimes people kind of get complacent in their recovery. They get complacent in their lives. They get complacent in their relationships with God. Um, So, you know, when I'm talking to people or working with people, um, no matter how long they've been sober, I mean, I've seen people relapse after five years, ten years. Um, a lot of times, to me, when, when I see people relapse, they're, they're not, they have a saying in the 12 steps, you can't keep it if you don't give it away. Um, and sometimes I think people put God in these boxes, like, and, and not just people in recovery, it could be people that go to church, you know, when, when, it, when Sunday comes, I'm a door holder and I'm, I'm all smiles and you know, I'm all about it. And then, you know, into this part of the week, it's, this is me time. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm about me here, you know, or, um, a lot of people get in the 12 steps and, and when they're, when they walk in, you know, when they're getting out of their car and they're, you know, they put on this, um, just, you know, I, to me, and they do mention this in the 12 steps as well. It's, it's practicing these principles in all of your affairs. And, um, you know, um, it's, it's a, obviously, you know, spiritual growth and, and continuing to make progress. It's a lifelong journey. Um, but with the people I'm around, the people that I'm continuing my journey, you know, a couple of years ago, I was about five years into mine. And it's funny because they give out chips. You know, they do, um, of course, day one. They do 30 days, 90 days. Um, they do six months. Um, some and some fellowships do different different chip systems and different timings, but five years is a really big one. Um, you know, it's a huge one they give out. And the reason they give these chips out strategically when they are building out the program, because those periods of time tend to be p- times when people get complacent and they get you know they start feeling like they have it or you know um, other different reasons, but. When I was five years into my sobriety, I was I was getting stagnant, and I remember just having these feelings of like this is what this is all life has. Like you know I you know God I thought it was you know it's going to be I you know I'm getting older. Where's my wife? Uh, you know where's all these Christian friends that I'm supposed to have? You know like I'm you know you know I'm trying to do the right thing. God like where are these people at? Like I don't you know I don't see them. I'm trying you know and. Uh, what I did do, though, is I didn't stay in that mindset. You know, I didn't stay blaming him, and I just tried to be. I tried to be humble. And I tried to say, "All right, God, I trust you. You've brought me this far. You know, just bring me to the right sponsor. You know, bring me to somebody that can help me." And I eventually met a gentleman, um, and he is a Christian, but he's very involved in the twelve steps. And there's a lot of Christians that are involved in the twelve steps um, as well. And I just wanted to mention that because there's. It's like anywhere in life, you have groups of people that are kind of, I feel like, closer to God than not. So, um, of course, you gravitate towards what you're what you're looking for. But um, <clears throat> I just want to sum up by saying this, um, you know, and 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 I I never relapse. So I mean, this last you know phase they have on here, um, a return to a problematic behavior. I certainly had you know. Um, different behaviors and different things that I struggled with, but I, I never relapsed after that last time, you know, and, um, I, uh, 
you know, I don't think that um, I don't think anyone is is ever too far removed, you know, to achieve sobriety. Um, I think that that uh, in my experience, um, there's always uh, there's always people that are that are there. You know, if if you can get put in scenarios where you can experience some joy, you know, one of the other things they say in the twelve steps is it's about attraction, you know, rather than promotion. You know, when I'm around, when I when I did meet my group of friends, uh, my Christian, you know, group of friends, most of them are Christians. Um, they had joy, they had peace in their life, you know, and they had um, they had what I wanted, you know. So I I over time, and it's the the the, the funny thing about humility when I was younger. <coughs> doing all these, um, you know, just trying to understand life and using all these drugs. I thought I was very humble. Like, I was always a very quiet person, you know, and I was very, um, you know, I felt like I was very nice, you know, most of the time. But, um, you know, humility to me today, you know, means realizing that um, you need other people because when I was in my addiction, you know, I, and it was a, it was a, it was a full uh, kind of, kind of process that I, I, I kind of realized I needed people, but I just didn't want to admit it. You know, my pride and my ego was a big factor, you know, and so when I came to the end of myself, you know, and saying, you know, talking about my pride, um, when, I, when I was in that moment, too, I forgot to mention this, where I was realizing that, you know, God still cared about me, I kind of had like a little bit of like a flash through the people in my life who loved me unconditionally. You know, and I and I thought about my parents, and I know they love me, but I thought about these other people too. You know, that never they didn't they didn't always try to fix me. In the moments that I would talk to them, you know, they would they would offer their ear, um, and they would say, "Hey, if you're interested in doing something, I'd, I you know I'll help you." But um, <clears throat> you know, that was just so incredibly powerful, you know, to me because. It's like these people want, they don't want anything from me, you know, and they just, you know, they just care about me. Um, <clears throat> so, um, hope is, is, is always available. It's always on the table. Um, it's, it's, you know, God is, 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 is in the business of changing people's lives. Um, and uh, thank you all for letting me talk to you guys. Thank you. So, thank you. <clears throat>